So continuing on, we are not to quench the Spirit. We are to allow the Lord to admonish us, to correct us, to, people don't like the word, but discipline involves punishment. Punishment for certain sins is that you'll stop sinning. So even with children, they may not like what you're doing, but they remember the punishment and they'll stop doing things. And then later on, they understand why they weren't to do this. But the immediate punishment will keep them from doing it. And that's what God intends. And so in Hebrews, it says, and afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It means you stop sinning or doing what God didn't like, and you've got back on the right road, he said. And then he quotes and says, for without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And Hebrews, and the scripture tells us God has no bastards. He doesn't spoil his kids. He don't let them get away. So when you have people claiming to be Christians and they're living in gross sin and they talk about God's grace, they've been deceived. They're bastards. No matter if they were once saved and not anymore. Because God doesn't permit it. He's a perfect father and he deals with his the way they need to be dealt with. That if they get into certain things, he'll deal with it. I mean, even with Israel, he told them under Moses, if you sin, I'll punish you. And if you sin seven times, I'll punish you seven times. But the danger is, like Proverbs or Psalms says, he that is often reproved hardens himself. He gets stiff. He don't give in. And he said, and he will be cut off without remedy. It means he's not listening. He's not taking the correction. He's fighting against it. That's quenching the spirit. And then one day the Lord says, he's rebellious and he don't want to change, so he's not mine anymore. He can be a bastard if he wants to. But if he's not going to follow me and obey me, he's not mine. So the Lord Jesus warned us, don't get cut off. If you don't bear the proper fruit of holiness and righteousness, the Father will cut you off from Christ. You can be cut off from grace, regardless of what the heretics tell you. And so we see that we have to be disciplined, and it's grievous, it's not pleasant, reminds us we cannot go our own way, that we're his. We're to follow him when he makes it plain and clear, and his principles. We're not here to rubber stamp what God wants, or him to rubber stamp and live our own life and be a fairy tale Christian, that is not going to happen. So if you live that way, you need to examine, as Peter said, and see whether you're in the faith or not, because he didn't know any other gospel. And as Paul said, if I come, or an angel from heaven, and preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. So he already laid down the foundations as the apostles did. And he said, if you do these things, you'll not inherit heaven. He didn't get into theology. He didn't say whether you were born again or not. He didn't say that. He said, if you live this way, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And so the danger with quenching the spirit, it means you're not taking up the cross. To take up the cross is for the Christian daily, as Paul talked about, and the Lord. You're to take up your cross. It means every day there are things that you want to do. And you have your own desires, but they're in conflict with what the Lord wants. 
So you have to give way to the Lord. You're his slave. Regardless if you're his child, you're his slave. And the master is to be obeyed. And that's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you? And John says, this is the love of God. Keep his commandment. He didn't say you have an emotional feeling for God and you sing and get happy and you have goosebumps. Oh, that don't mean nothing if you don't obey the Lord. He says, vain to him. Lip service. It's just human emotionalism. People get that at a baseball game. You know, it'll prove nothing. Are you going to obey him? That's when the Lord considers you're his. You don't care about this feely, feely stuff. People have feelings and affections for cats and dogs better than they do people. But they have them. They're They're just not regulated. So to sit in a gathering and praise the Lord and sing songs when you know something's not right, you're a hypocrite. And the apostle warned those who take the Lord's Supper in the wrong state, drink judgment to themselves. It means God may decide to visit something on you because you shouldn't be doing it if you're not right. God does not hear the sinner's prayer. He does not hear the double-minded. James says, don't think you'll get anything from the Lord. Double-minded, you're in the world and you're out of the world. You're reading your Bible and then you're going and sinning. Uh, he said, you don't get nothing from the Lord because you have no stability. Okay, You got to go one way or the other. Okay. So if you quench the spirit too much and you fight his corrections and his leadings, it leads to grieving the spirit. At Noah's time, it said they grieved him to his heart. So they already quenched his dealings. But when they grieved him to his heart, he destroyed them. He gave us a human example. He said, it repents me of a made man. See, he's using human terminology. It's like he's saying, I didn't believe they'd become that wicked. But he's expressing grief. So it grieves him. And then when grief has run its course, insulting. Once you've grieved God enough, you've insulted the spirit, and then he destroyed him. Cut him off. He's done that to nations. He's done that to people. So there's a process. You quench, you grieve, and you insult. And Hebrews says those who insult the spirit of grace and trample the blood of Christ, that's the backslider. He said, how much greater punishment shall you think they shall receive? They're going to get a great punishment, everlasting fire, and it's going to be worse than the persons that never came to the Lord, the normal wicked person. So we need to remember this, okay? So if you quench the spirit and you grieve the spirit, Scripture says, he said, my spirit will not always strive with men. It means he stops working with them. So that's the danger. When people are sitting grossly and everything's happy and they claim to be Christians, that simply means God's probably given up on you. And he can wait until judgment day. He's in a hurry. That's his long suffering. Perhaps during that time you'll repent. But if you don't, everything you did from that moment, you're going to be punished for. You ain't going to get away with nothing. So... He told the Jews, he says, his long sufferings has bore with your willfulness and stubbornness, 
It was meant to lead you to repentance, but you're going to come under God's greater raft. See, because of holiness and justice, God is fair. So he can extend grace, certain amount of grace, but boy, you better respond to it or you're going to see justice one day come into play. Everybody's going to get. Those who did not know the master's will will be beaten with fewer strikes. But those who knew the master's will and didn't do it, they shall be beaten with many strikes. See, he's going to hold them all accountable. Okay? So we are not to despise or quench the spirit because he's speaking through the prophetic word uh and he's telling us what he wants, preaching, exhorting, admonishing, warnings are also there like comfort, encouragement. Everybody talks about comfort and encouragement. I never hear much about admonishing or rebuking. They must live really exemplary lives. They must be exceptionally holy people. But I don't think so. See, they don't want to hear it. They want the good stuff. They want the positive side. People, I've had people tell me I only want a positive word. I said, well, you'll, you'll go to hell. I mean, look at me funny. I said, if that's all you want, then you're going to be lied to. <laughs> because if you ain't living right, God don't have nothing positive to say to you. If you don't repent, he has nothing positive to say to you. Everything's going to be negative at the day of judgment. Okay? So we are to let the word search us, correct us, deal with our conscience and our renewed mind, and not fight against the Spirit's dealings. So teaching and instruction and righteous living. See, when people talk about all the things they want, the great, I don't hear much about instruction into righteousness because they're not in the kingdom. They have a false form of Christianity. They have a blessed me gospel and they live as they please. But they still think they can give God a little money and go meet in a church meet and sing a little song, and they're happy for the week. But they're going to find out in the long run, God never heard it. Scripture says God despises the gifts of the wicked. He says their gifts are an abomination. He don't want nothing but repentance from the wicked. And when they give him things to buy him off, he adds punishment to him later. They bring a curse on themselves. See? The sacrifices of the wicked, it said, are an abomination to the Lord. Abomination means they're despised and hated by him. So don't think you can buy the Lord off by doing a little good if you don't deal with what's in hand. Oh, I've known people, I've counseled them. They'll do a lot of good, they'll do a lot of, but they're still in their affair. They're still doing a gross sin, and they think by doing these other things, it's going to help them. It's not. It's going to be added sin to them for trying to appease God with an angry, sinning spirit. God isn't interested, okay? So we are never to hate, despise, and refuse the word of God, whatever way it comes, and if we need correction and reproof and admonishment, we better take it. 
One of the signs of those being an elder and a, a good deacon was they were able to admonish. Why? Because everybody at various levels needs to be admonished. As James says, in many things we offend all. We offend people sometimes we're not aware of what we're doing. Not consciously, but it's still offensive. So he said, well, guard your tongue, and then you can be a complete person. It meant if you watch your mouth, you ain't going to be held as accountable to these things you're not aware you're doing. God will take care of them later. But no gross sin, no practicing of is going to get you into the kingdom, and no amount of appeasement is going to please God. He said, obey me if he's the Lord. Paul said, you that sin, and they were caught in sin. He said, sin no more. He didn't say, just get it forgiven. He said, sin no more. He's talking about conscious gross sins. He's not talking about a lot of petty stuff that people call sin. God, he's sanctifying us. We're not even held accountable to certain things. That's the flawed, cursed nature, the old man that we deal with that does things without our consciousness. We have to fight it. We sometimes don't see what's happening. That's why James said, we offend in many things. But he doesn't offend with his tongue. He says, a perfect means a complete person. Because 95% of our troubles become because of our tongue. Okay. Now we go on. 21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Well, I can see why certain prophecies are despised because nowadays they're all false prophecies. They're blessed me prophecies, promising money and goods and hell. These are lying prophecies. They want to go back to the Old Testament. Under the Old Testament, God blessed the patriarchs, and many of them, with riches and stuff because they had no spiritual Christ in them. In the New Testament, he didn't promise them that. He warned them against it. He promised them tribulation, affliction, and things that they could overcome to prove that Christ is in them. So we had better privileges, but they all go back to the old. You never hear him quote what Paul said, you that would be rich fall into many hurtful lot. Doesn't sound like an encouragement to be rich, does it? But they don't like that one because they're of the world. They don't know what true Christianity is. So so we despise those kind of prophecies because they're false and they're misleading and they're not based on God's word. So we examine sermons and things. Even good ministers can give some false things sometimes and we pick it up. And if they're not as good as they should be, then he should be uh, elders go and talk to him. You don't let it slide. You don't let them feed garbage. And the devil tries to slip it in. And that's why when Paul said, you prophets under spiritual inspiration, you can speak in a gathering of two or three and let the others judge. So the prophets in the New Testament were speaking under his, the other prophets were examining them. See, the normal Christian couldn't pick up certain things. But the prophets given discernment. He not only knows the word of God, he can pick up the spirit behind it. So a person can prophesy something good, and his motive can be greed or looking for attention for him. A lot of people teach and preach. That's the main reason they do it. It's not to help people. They want to be seen and heard. 
and they're not going to get no reward if they make it into the kingdom. Okay? But that's much of what good. But see, the person under spirit listening to the other person, he knows. And so he says, examine, judge all things. And if there's something slips through, you say, mm, that's not true. And if you are really moved by the Lord, you'll take the correction. And you'll say, oh, that slipped in, or I was speaking my mind, okay? So we prove that. We see it by sound teaching. See, we have all the scripture that they didn't have during the Corinthians time. Paul and Peter were dead before John started writing his gospel and the epistles and the book of Revelation. So we have scripture they don't have. It doesn't add much more. It confirms what's said, okay? And so we can look at it and judge what's being said. But sometimes, unless you have discerning spirit, you can't get behind it. Oh, the devil could quote scripture. He did it to Jesus, but he misquoted it and he misused it. But he did quote it. He said, jump. He said, for his angels, God will give his angels charge over you. That's true. But Jesus knew God, the father had not told him to jump. So it would have been presumption and pride. It would have been a sin. Well, the devil didn't get into that. But when he warred with Jesus, that was the main thing he used for scripture. And he tried to cleverly distort it. But Jesus was too smart because he had the spirit of the father. He was baptized with the spirit, came on him, and he was able to perceive what motive was behind it. Okay, So sound teaching, and that's doctrine, sound doctrine, Always, when you hear the word sound teaching or sound doctrine, it means always it's scripture and the word that lives leads to holy conduct. So when people talk about sound teaching and good and they're not living right, it ain't doing them a bit of good. See, sound teaching is to lead to righteous living. It's not leading just to believing something. Why, the millions and millions at judgment, we've said, are going to say, Lord, Lord, they believe he's the son of God. They believe he died on a cross. They believe he rose again. And he said, I never knew you. See, they believe mental facts. But they were not regenerated. They did not submit to his lordship. And they weren't led of his spirit. They were not his. But they claimed to be. We got two billion people in the world who claim to be Christians, and most of them are not Christians, Catholic and Protestant, okay? But they're religious, we can say that. So any sound teaching was not to give people knowledge alone. That was the Corinthians problem. They were lifted up at pride because of their knowledge, but it wasn't producing holy living, and that's why he reproved them. Yeah. See, they wanted to know scripture so they could debate it. Jews loved to debate, and the Gentiles were catching on. No, Paul was saying, you're to hear scripture so you can do what it's required, not believe what it's you do. Because every judgment that God calls man into is according to works. It's not according to belief. Because if your works are right, your belief is right. Read it. You'll never find he judges any Old New Testament and Book of Revelations. There could be several judgments before the final end. It's according to their works. 
because the works, like James says, will prove whether you have the real faith or not. Very simple, isn't it? Uh -huh. 22, abstain from every form of evil. Okay, stop, don't do. Avoid anything that speaks to other people or they see as being selfish, evil, or vainglory. See? So you can teach the Word of God and have a lot of pride about it and think you're special. And other spiritual people see that. Uh -huh. So you're doing something, appearance of evil. They said vainglory. And that's why James said, many of you people should not be teachers. Well, that was after these people were saying faith without works was okay. And he was saying three times, faith without works is dead. So when you were teaching that, the next verse and chapter, he says, not many of you should be teachers. See, if you're teaching that kind of garbage, you shouldn't be teaching anybody because you don't know the word of God properly. That's what he meant. He said, for we shall come under stricter judgment. So those who take it upon themselves or are appointed to teach, they're going to come under a greater judgment. If they're wrong, then they find themselves in a bad situation one day. It may cost them their soul. Mm -hmm. So people need to be careful. When people sin and Christians sin, it says, you that are spiritual, restore them. You don't do it if you're not walking right. You don't become arrogant and think, well, I'm better than you. I didn't do that. Well, if you were put in a situation, you may have. So he said, you do it in gentleness, but you can still rebuke and correct and punish. But you don't proceed to do this when your own walk is not where it should be with the Lord. That's why he says, you that are spiritual. He didn't say you who are teachers or pastors because they're not always spiritual. He said, you that are spiritual do this. Considering yourself that you could be in the same situation. Okay. So what is he saying? Stop doing these things. Why? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life causes people many times to even use religion and the things of the Lord for their own attention. Nothing's more pathetic. I've seen it when other people have it. I've seen teachers and preachers, and I see the pride in them, and everybody thinks they're special. They're not. And that's why Jesus said at the final rewards, he said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. They may make it as of by fire, but all of their preaching and teaching don't count for nothing. It's wood and stubble. It wasn't motivated by the Spirit, and so he's not in it. Don't matter how much truth said it, he don't inspire it. See, because their heart's wrong, okay? So we need to understand that. So we are to be careful. We don't get into the what Paul said the, the Jews were into when they got saved. They were still minding rules, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't do this on this day. And he was telling the Christian, if you get mature, the Gentile, you don't have to go for this. But don't offend them. They've been raised that way. And until the conscience is enlightened, don't bother them. It's none of your business. But Christians should not do things that are obviously the world sees as evil. So sometimes for their sake and for our witness, we will refrain 
and we don't do it in their presence. But it don't mean when we're by ourselves, we have liberty. See? We don't have liberty to sin, as some people use that and pervert that scripture. We never have liberty or license to sin. That's a doctrine of the devil. Evil is always evil. <laughs> but he says, let not your good be evil spoken of. Okay? And it don't take too much to figure it out with some people. So you just say, well, around them, I'm not going to, this bothers them. And if I can help them, I'll take the high road. And that's why Paul said he wouldn't eat or do certain things around the Jewish Christians ever until they were enlightened. See, he didn't want to offend them. He didn't go to Jewish people eating ham sandwiches just to show them he could eat ham sandwich. That's being provocative. People do that. I've seen Christians, they brag about their liberty and they purposely offend Christians. They're going to hell. That's where their end's going to be because they don't know what the spirit of love is and they're not concerned that they are offending the weaker Christian. So they have to be careful in our lifestyle. Verse 23 now may the God of peace himself, the Father, sanctify you entirely or completely that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless or mature without blame at the coming of the Lord. Why? Because if he does it, you're not going. See? People are waiting for the mortal to put on mortality. Well, it's not going to do it if you're not doing your part now. If you're not following the Lord and putting down the flesh and avoiding growth, you're not going to make it. See, he makes it very plain and simple. You better be obeying your conscience and trying to follow the Lord if you expect to go when he comes, okay? So in ending his epistle, he prays the God of peace will sanctify you. Well, if you're sanctified whole, set apart for the Lord, and constant, and you're walking in him and trying to be led of the Spirit, you have peace. Your conscience will bear witness that you're right with the Lord. If it doesn't, something's wrong, okay? And so, the Spirit and the soul and the body, that shows the Spirit can sin. The greasy graces and Calvinistic says the Christian spirit that saved cannot sin. There's no such teaching. If your spirit has to be, he's talking about the human spirit, has to be completely sanctified, it means it can be unholy. See, because it's man. It's part of who you are, part of your personality. Okay? Your spirit soul is your personality. The spirit soul go to heaven together or go to hell together. They're only separated for their uses. Okay? We'll see the spirit and soul, and the body simply does what it's told by the will. The will can be influenced by God, the devil, or the flesh, always, before and after you're a Christian. God does not override the will. That's you. You make these decisions, okay? So each can sin if permitted. Mm -hmm. So the soul basically deals with the earthly things. The bodily things, that which connects us, food and drink and romance and all kinds of things like that, like the animals are bound to the earthly world. So that part of us is bound 
we are earthly people. And God's trying to make us into spiritual ones. And so we see then the spirit has more to deal with the conscience, the will, and spiritual desires. Even people don't serve the Lord often are spiritual. They're just into demonology, seances, false religion. They're very religious. There's a part of them that was made in the image of God to communicate with the supreme being. And so that's the part of them. But the combination of them make them an earthly body, but the body only does what the personality tells it to do. And the will can obey or not obey. And that's why we see in all the epistles, we're told, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this. You're held responsible for your actions. You're held responsible for what your will does, okay? And so the body will simply obey, okay? The will is either joined and trying to yoke and follow Christ, or it does its own thing and falls ultimately under the devil's control, even if people don't believe there's a devil. He has great influence over the carnal and the fleshly nature because it's bound in sin, okay? When the Lord comes, then we must be in his will and fellowship. So many people are looking for the second coming, and most of them are not going. Their life proves they're not. They're caught up in the world, materialism. They're not interested in spiritual thing. Oh, they go to church, and they praise and say, that ain't being spiritual. They can be shocked because they're not going. He's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. That means you're walking daily in the will of the Lord, and you're trying to obey him, and you're keeping short account. If you fail, you confess it, you deal with it, you go on. You don't let things build. You keep reminding yourself it may be today. And if not, when I sleep tonight, it may be my time to go. You don't know. So all these people looking for the second coming, and most of them are not going, okay? Because they don't fulfill the requirements. And he says then in verse 24, Christ, he is faithful. He's called you to sanctification and holiness, and he will bring it to pass. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's doing what necessary to make us right. So when he comes, he can take us with him and the mortal shall put on immortality. Then the old will be left behind. The old nature won't go that we've been warring with consistently, okay? And now we finish with 25 to 28. He says, pray for us. So the apostle was not beyond asking people to pray for him. He did it on several occasions, and we see the main thing he asked for prayer was that he would have boldness to proclaim the gospel. The baptism of the Holy Spirit gives menaces boldness. But often they will be persecuted and afflicted, and a lot of things won't be heard. There are no popular menaces with the world. The world hates them. It reproves them and corrects them. So you can pretty well tell who's a menace to the Lord and who's not. Because he has to reprove and convict and disturb a person and most of them don't like that. And most of them don't come to the Lord even under conviction. And so they retaliate and persecute. And so he said, give me grace to endure this. Because everywhere I know, there's sorrows and tribulations waiting for me. 
So pray that I'll be given extra grace to do what he called me to do, okay? 26, he said, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. He's basically saying in our time, shake a Christian's hand, give him a hug. They are special than the people in the world. They have Christ in them. They're your brothers and sisters' family. The world is not. So in preference, you honor the believer over the sinner. I've seen many people go out of their way for the sinner at the exclusion of the righteous. It's because they're stupid, and they don't know they offend Christ greatly. And at the great judgment, it's what people did with Christ's children that's going to determine much of their eternity. What you did to them or for them is what's going to be brought up. So you better show more kindness and grace to your brother and sister in the Lord than for a wicked sinner. (laughs) James or Paul says, I guess it's Galatians, he said, do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. That means if you're ever in a position to make a choice, you choose the family of God, okay? Because it's Christ in them. And then he says, I adjourn you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. I'm commanding you as an apostle. I'm putting you under my word that you read this to other churches and other fellowships. It's for everybody. So it wasn't just for the Thessalonians. It's inspired and it's prophetic. He knew that. So he tells them, make sure the brethren read this. Okay. And he ends as he does most of the letters he does asking that God give you grace. And grace was not just unmerited favor. Anything God does, we could say in the world. But as a Christian, we merit what Christ has done for us. So we don't have to come crawling. And, oh, I'm so unworthy. It said, come with courage to the throne of grace that you can obtain help during times of trial. So these people that gravel all the time and get callous knees, and they show everybody how much they love the Lord. In the Philippines, they crucify themselves. It's vain. It don't prove nothing to God. They love the attention. They're willing to suffer that people will honor them because it's of the old nature. They'll do anything to get attention, see? And they pretend they're honoring God. It's the devil behind it. That's what it is. So grace He'll give you ability and strength in every avenue to cause you to follow him and serve him. That's what he means by grace. God will give you something. And he prayed that he would give us the spirit of revelation and discernment and understanding. So reading the Bible don't give you that. That's mental assent. That's why brilliant people are not spiritual people. That's why brilliant Christians are novices. Oh, they've got degrees and they're brilliant, but they can't rightly understand spiritual things because they're still babies and they're not spiritual. And it don't come by study. It comes by revelation. Then he opens their eyes. And that's what Jesus did. When he was on the road after the resurrection, he talked to them concerning the prophets and the Psalms and spoke of him. And he said, and he opened their understanding. See, they didn't see a lot of this until he resurrected. 
And then he said, there are many things I have to say to you, but you can't understand them. They're too hard. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. We're better off spiritually that Jesus is not here. He says, because when I was here, I was just in a body, and you didn't have the spirit of Christ living into you to the degree that the new covenant's going to bring it. And that's why I said you can't understand many, but the spirit. And they asked him questions, some he didn't answer. But when Pentecost came in the spirit, they didn't ask those questions anymore. They understood some of the hard things that they weren't able to bear as Jewish followers. Let's finish here. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us understanding in all of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.